Hello and welcome to Alan Overy Luxembourg's podcast. My name is Victoria Wurstmann and I'm a senior associate in our Luxembourg corporate M&A team. Our podcast today will be dedicated to employment law. More specifically, we'll be talking about what the return to work post-COVID could look like. For this, I've invited Laurie Luxamy, associate in our employment law team, and Maurice Maki, counsel in our employment law team. Welcome both. Hi, Victoria. Hi. Hi, both. So, Laurie and Maurice, tell us more about this subject and why you chose to address this topic. Well, first of all, thank you for having us on the Anne-Lenovre Luxembourg podcast today. We know that one may ask why the COVID-19 subject again, because we might honestly just all need a break from the subject from the time being. But to be honest, we wanted to address it with a glimpse of hope. Why is that? Because after all, it feels like we've all been on a standstill mode for so long now that it would actually be refreshing to be able to tackle this subject with maybe the ability to project ourselves in the future with this specific topic. In addition, we also wanted to address it with a, a touch of a sociological aspect. Why is that? Well, because some people during the COVID crisis have had no other choice but to completely adapt their lifestyle, be it from the way they work, the way they interact with others, their schedule, or even their life realities. Of course, this was more or less a positive or a negative experience from one person to the other. But what is sure is that we have all been impacted by it and that we will continue to all be impacted by the COVID consequences in the coming years. So in light of this, we thought it would be appropriate to maybe have a look at the subjects that should be addressed by employers in the near future in order to prepare themselves for the post-COVID or the almost post-COVID phase. Hmm, a glimpse of hope. I like that idea, Laurie. Thank you. And, and yes, it's true. I mean, We are all getting a bit sick of COVID, but with vaccinations making more and more progress in Luxembourg, the recent decrease of COVID cases and the easing of the government measures, we are finally seeing light at the end of the tunnel. And we are, as you said, starting to enter an almost post-COVID phase. Maurice, so what do you think that this will all mean from a practical perspective for employers? Well, it is relatively obvious that we will not all go back to the office from one day to another and act as if the pandemic didn't occur. Most of us are no longer used to being crowded places, so that, for instance, being together with several colleagues in a small meeting room may be frightening for some persons who may feel unwell in such situation. HR and management representatives would be well advised if they already plan concrete steps to help employees to kind of relearn to work together in a similar way as we did all in the past. For instance, an idea could be to ask an entire team to come back on a given day on a voluntary basis, to ask all employees of this team to do a rapid antigen test, to continue to wear the mask and to comply with social distancing measures, and then to work all together like it would be 2019 again, an entire day in the office. This could then be repeated on a more regular basis over the summer in order to get again used to this new world situation. The underlying rationale is of course to be ready when the last barriers will be lifted and when employees will be expected to go back to the office. It's fair to say that it's difficult to know precisely when this will be as it will most likely, as you said, Victoria, depend on the pace of the vaccination campaign. And speaking about 
about vaccination, this is obviously a hot topic for employers as well. To date, Luxembourg law is relatively conservative as to vaccination. First element to note is that vaccination, as we all know, is not mandatory. It is therefore obvious that employers cannot compel employees to get vaccinated. Second, from a legal perspective, information or even the proof about whether someone has been vaccinated or not is considered as sensitive data and therefore subject to a high degree of protection. As a consequence, employers cannot draw any conclusions from the information whether someone has been vaccinated or not with regard to possible necessary measures they would want to implement in the workplace. What does it mean for you in practice as an employer by considering the legal situation as it stands today? First, you cannot ask an employee whether he or she received the vaccine or not. And of course, you cannot ask for a proof of the vaccination. And second, you cannot keep a list of the vaccinated employees if, for instance, employees would voluntarily provide you with such information or even with a certificate proving that the vaccination has taken place. And obviously, if you would have such kind of list, we would not be able to do a differentiation between employees who have been vaccinated on the one hand and those who do not have been vaccinated on the other hand. In addition to that, it is fair to say also that the question of the vaccination will be of particular relevance for business travelers. To date in Luxembourg, the only COVID-related obligation regarding travelers is an obligation to get the COVID test prior to entering Luxembourg by air transport. This applies to all flights to Luxembourg, including those from the European Union member states. And this obligation stems actually from an explicit position of the Luxembourg government. As you all know, I guess uh, similar obligations are also imposed by other countries. But None of the European countries, to our knowledge, has yet imposed an obligation to be vaccinated to travel to or from the country. Having said that, we take the view, and most legal specialists share this view as well, is that the employer has no legal obligation to authorize only employers who have been vaccinated to do business travels and, on the other hand, to only allow employees who have been vaccinated to do such travels. Hmm, that's super interesting. So two interesting things that I heard there. The first one being that we do really need to relearn to all work together. I can see that when I come to the office, I can get quite irritated from all the noise around me and the fact that I've had to dress up and put on makeup to come to the office when I'm sitting at home. I can, I can be much more relaxed. So I think, and it's nice to hear that I'm not the only one experiencing this and that I can fully understand that it's indeed going to be a big issue for the employer to not overestimate their employees and the mental health of their employees. That's really true. And the second interesting point I found was about the vaccinations, because of course, most of us are really, really eager to get vaccinated, but that may not be the case for everyone, right? And not everyone may be available to get vaccinated right away for health or other reasons. So question whether we can differentiate is indeed, I think, quite an important topic for employers at this time. So you said, Maurice, that there is indeed going to be a transitional phase. But as you mentioned, I think to some extent we should also hope to a return to normal. But I wonder, is the old normal ever going to come back? Don't you think that COVID will leave a permanent impact on the way we work, Laurie? 
Yes, definitely. And I think that there was already a certain phenomenon of the work-life balance movement that was already there before the COVID. And the COVID has definitely increased it. I think for the coming years, employers will have to be aware of this and be careful about it because people in general, and more specifically, the new generation arriving on the employing markets, they want to have more time out of work, or at least they want to be able to have a certain quality time outside of their working space, meaning that they want to be able to decide when they're going to work. This is one of the main area. As a result, I think companies will have to adapt, especially in order to retain or to even attract talents. In that perspective, there are different components to be taken into account when it comes to flexibility, because companies will have to adapt their work style to the lifestyle that people are aiming for. And these components will have to be focused on how work can be performed, where it can be performed, and where it can be performed. So while doing it, companies will also have to take into account the regulating constraints on the one side, but also, and very importantly for them on the other side, they will have to take into account the sustainability of their business while they do it. Mm, right. And I agree, Lori. I think the time where you got up early in the morning, it was still dark, and then you hustled to the office, you spend all your day in the office and you get back home when it's dark. I think these times are over with the past months and the past year, actually, where people have seen that what it's like to have a day in between your working day and, and actually, you know, be much more relaxed. So what do you think companies can do in terms of how work can be performed? Do you consider that people will continue to tell work on a regular basis? I believe this will be the case to a certain extent, but the legal situation, in particular in Luxembourg, is pretty complex, notably because of the high number of cross-border workers. There are labor law considerations, social security rules, tax provisions, data protection requirements. Even for companies falling under the supervision of the CSSF, there are additional obligations from a regulatory standpoint. This is a lot, and this renders the situation particularly difficult to get to grips with. We will obviously not be able today to address all these elements, but we would like to give you the following takeaway points. Considering the complexity of the topic, it is necessary to find a way to frame it internally. Most of the employers have decided to set up a specific policy about teleworking, either on a group level or on a local level. There are, however, also other ways to implement telework in your company, depending on your concrete needs and your specific situation. But this will have to be assessed on a case-by-case -case basis. Second element, teleworking will trigger, even for the company, a certain level of costs. Not only because the IT equipment will have to be provided to employees and maintained in a second step in case of malfunction, but also because of a reimbursement of cost obligation that will apply in principle in case of regular telework. In that context, specific Internal assessment should be made to limit the financial impact of this additional burden. One idea is, for instance, to compensate the additional costs with benefits that were initially before the crisis provided at the office. There are many ways to achieve this, but one should here again be mindful to implement this in a sound legal way. 
Yes, exactly. And an additional point that should be taken into account and that employees must be aware of is that teleworking can only be performed on a consensual basis, meaning that, well, employers cannot impose teleworking to employees, but likewise, employees cannot impose teleworking to their employers. So if the employer refuses it, the employee cannot force it. In addition, what is, I think, an interesting point is that from a strict employment law perspective, meaning without taking the social security tax or regulatory constraints into consideration, it will be imaginable to consider employees that would be performing teleworking on a 100% basis. But the future will tell if employees are willing to go the way. In addition to that, we have all experienced this as well. Telework is not only limited to the employee's home anymore and can in theory uh, be carried out from everywhere in the world. Uh, here again, we have unfortunately legal constraints to be taken to account and I would differentiate two specific situations. The first one is for the employees who work in the company who falls under the supervision of the CSSF. In that situation, there is a specific requirement that those employees should be able to return to the office on short notice in case of need. This entails that these employees will logically not be allowed to work from Australia or another part of the world, but to stay close to the office at their home or elsewhere, but still within, in our opinion, one or two hours drive. This is the first category of company. The second category is the companies who are not falling under the supervision of the CSSF. For those, there is no such limitation. However, specific tax consideration, both from a company's perspective, but also from an employee's perspective, will have to be taken into account in such a situation. I think more or less everyone has this on the radar, but when almost all your employees will do telework on a regular basis, I think this will have to be monitored even more closer to be sure to avoid to have specific risk in terms of taxes uh, as well. And as I said, a specific assessment on a case-by-case -case basis should be made to tackle and prevent such kind of risks. Okay, I see. So now we've covered how work can be performed and where work can be performed. Let's go to the third category. What about the question as to when work can be performed? Is there a possibility to include more flexibility in that regard, Laurie? Well, this is a very important question, Victoria, because it also raises one other question, which is whether it is actually sustainable for companies to individualize their employees' working schedule. In the current practice, there are actually maybe two different ways to achieve such a result. The first one is the very specific situation of employees who are working on a part-time basis, meaning that they are working less than 40 hours per week. These employees actually beneficiate from an individualized working schedule. Why is that so? Well, because in principle, their working schedule needs to be foreseen in their employment contract in the first place. However, this is not sustainable for all companies to have employees working part-time because of, I don't know, maybe workload or other logistic considerations. In addition, once the working schedule has been established in the employment contract, it must be complied with, meaning that in practice, you don't have that much of a flexibility when it comes to the execution of the part-time employment contract itself. The second way that could be foreseeable is that there are actually specific mechanisms that are foreseen by the labor code with regard to working time flexibility. For instance, you have what is called the working time plan, plan d'organisation du travail, which we'll refer to as POT, and you have the flexi time. 
Both are specific systems of work organization. But if you take the POT, it is established in advance by the employer and it is made according to the foreseeable activity of the company during a specific period. This is what you will maybe see most commonly in the industrial or the construction sector. On the other side, you have what I refer to as the flexi time horaire mobile. This will be different from the POT because it really allows employees to organize their individual working time and hours on a day-to-day -day basis in accordance with the core business of their company, but also in accordance with the needs of their private life. The maybe less positive points about this mechanism is that both the POT and the flexi time needs to be implemented in accordance with specific procedure involving the staff representatives and taking into account a predetermined reference period and very specific technical rules. In addition, it will have to be compliant with the statutory working time limitation and the statutory minimum resting period, which are foreseen by law. So all in all, it is possible to have more flexibility but only with specific mechanisms and it remains for the time being a little limited. So I'm very curious to see if the law evolves in the future in that regard. Okay, thanks a lot, Laurie and Maurice. I see. So all in all, and leaving technicalities aside, I think for the sake of diversity and better work-life balance, everybody, so employees and employers, will be happy to hear that this flexibility in terms of timing as well as location is here to stay, at least to a certain extent. But I think that there's still quite a lot of work to do from a regulatory perspective. Is that right? Is that a correct conclusion? Absolutely, Victoria. I think the legislator in Luxembourg will also have to adapt to the new situation. I think the new convention about teleworking goes into the right direction. Likewise, the circular of the CSSF regulating telework goes in the right direction. But in addition, I think, as Laurie said, in terms of flexibility, it's not only teleworking that is relevant for employees. So that many, many improvements could be made in terms of when people are allowed to work or when people should work, when people can have breaks, how long can people work? I think there are obviously always a need to protect the health of the employees to avoid that people work around the clock. But nevertheless, I think a bit more flexibility would, in my opinion, be welcome. This is really interesting. Thank you both for taking time to speak with me today, Laurie and Maurice. This was really fun. I hope you enjoyed it too. And I do look forward to welcoming you to another podcast soon. Thank you, Victoria. Thank you, Victoria. <laughs>